Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for the chance to come together in worship, to hear your word proclaimed, and to bring ourselves before you with expectant hearts, ready to learn, to grow, and to serve you more deeply. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have a favorite hymn. I know that for many people, there are lots of hymns that we don't like, but I wonder if you have a favorite one. Some of you have actually told me that you do, and you've told Stephanie and me sometimes after a Sunday service that we chose one of your favorites this week. If you've got a favorite hymn, I'd love to know it, and I'd even love to have you share those favorites with one another. And this is one of those times when the chat room can be a gift. I invite you to type in your favorite hymns. Even if you don't know the exact name, give it a shot. You know, you can describe it a little bit. In fact, I was glancing over at the Facebook comments and saw that already our opening hymn was one of Loretta's favorites. So I know you all have favorites. It'll be fun to learn more about your favorite ones. If you're listening to the sermon later, by the way, you can send me a quick email or a text and let me know your favorite hymns. I guess my next question, though, would be, for you, what makes the hymn a favorite? I imagine that there are so many different reasons. For some of you, it might be that a particular hymn evokes good memories, memories of someone you love or of experiences that you cherish. For others, it might simply be aesthetic. You like the sound, the tune, or maybe the poetry of the words. Maybe you like the number of verses. For some people, that means that you love a short hymn, while others savor the multi-stanza hymns that seem to go on for days. So many reasons, right? But really, I think there's something deeper about the wonder of hymns, a wonder that is somehow different and more timeless even than other forms of music. In fact, when I even say the word hymn, I wonder, I wonder what it comes to in your mind, what that connotation is. And I actually think that it, it I can probably guess what it is, okay? It, it, it's that connection, it's that connection to something more than just the words or just the tune. And I want to strip things back a little bit. What does this word even mean? What are hymns? The word hymn, it's derived from a Greek word that means simply a song of praise. And this fascinates me because we have so many ways of praising God, and yet the use of song or the use of words, and particularly the use of shared song, hymns from any number of times and eras and generations, the use of song as a way to give us words to connect with others and to connect with God, words that give us uh, a connection. There are few things, in fact, that are more unifying then coordinated and even somewhat uncoordinated unison singing of hymns. I chuckle sometimes when I'm sitting in the sanctuary and looking out because I look out and, and there are some of you who never sing the hymns. I usually give a couple of those people a little knowing smile as I see them standing there without even a hymnal. And I have no clue whether they even notice me smiling at them, but I feel like sending a little message that I see them I love them, and even if they're not participating in the grand unifying effort of congregational singing, they're still one of us. They're still in the fold. And I think that my subconscious gesture that, that I don't really even control, it's 
I think it's so important to me simply because this act of singing, the act of singing praise to God and the unifying act of it in particular is so important to my understanding of faith and a faith community that I somehow want to bring them in with it. I know that during this time we're worshiping in our own environment, some of you are likely not singing all that much during our services, but I know that some of you are. And regardless of whether you're belting out the hymns and frightening your cats, dogs, chickens, children, and spouses, there does remain this unifying element of our expressions of faith and song. This unifying element in the act of praise to God, of hymns, praises to God. And as much as music is integral to hymns, especially hymns as we know them, the words of these sacred texts, texts that in many cases have been passed down for centuries, it is these words in which we often find some of the most beautiful expressions of faith. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning I'll sing my praise to thee. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So you see, we use these hymns as reminders, as lessons, but also as reminders. They bring us back to ground us in our faith. And you see, this is precisely what Paul was doing in his letter to the Philippians. Right in the middle of our reading that Kathy read this morning, there's a hymn. A hymn that celebrates and recounts who Jesus was and who Jesus is and why Jesus matters to the life of the church. Think about that. Who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and why Jesus matters in the life of this church. Paul's writing in this letter, it's very affectionate and it's caring. It's loving and it's caring to a church that he is trying to encourage on the journey, a church that seems to be doing well there are some challenges, perhaps even some conflicts, but in stark contrast from some of Paul's other letters, this one is quite personal and sincere. In the first four verses of our reading, Paul is encouraging unity, unity of purpose among the church. He is inviting the people to come together as people who serve one another and who serve those who have need. Paul writes, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Friends, this could easily be a letter written to and about us, to and about us as a congregation in particular. And of course, we need to be encouraged like those Philippians, but friends, there is a unique and beautiful love in this church where people, where you all exercise this absolute desire to serve others and to care for others and to put the interests of others ahead of your own. What's fascinating in Paul's writing of this letter, though, is that he then goes on to recite a familiar hymn to them, a hymn that would likely have been known to them, a hymn, again, about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and why Jesus matters in the life of the church. Put another way, why it is impossible for the church to truly be what it is created to be, what it is designed to be, 
without a strive to understand not just the call to serve, but to understand who created us to be love in the world, to try to understand more and more the mystery of God and of Christ and of Christ's love for humanity exhibited in Christ's love and in his death. There's this, this hymn of praise, this hymn of recounting these attributes of God and how Christ lived and died right in the middle of essentially some instructions for life. How to live and who to follow are almost indistinguishable. Praise and action, love and worship. There's this recipe of sorts, this way to make us work as close as possible to the design, the design of the creator, the one who created us and who has given us both the free will and the agency and also the bodies and the brains to choose and follow. And then also to choose to respond. I wonder if you've ever heard the term manufacturer's recommendations. I love this term. Of course, it doesn't come up in everyday life, but I notice it when I see it. Put simply, when something is built or made, a final product or even a component that will go into another final product, there are these sets of instructions, procedures, suggestions as to how that product or component should be used in order to safely and effectively do what the product is designed to do. I love this idea that these are recommendations. There's an element of freedom there, right? There's a quite capitalist recognition that you're the buyer and you have the right to do with the product what you want to do with it. But we, the manufacturer, have some recommendations as to how you can have it do what we intended it to do. But it's your choice. They're recommendations. Now, the cruel reality is that very few people ever see these recommendations. They're written in small print and they're often buried or they're ignored because there's an easier, cheaper, more efficient way to accomplish the same goals. Throughout the Christian life though, and especially within the church, our lives are about trying to follow the manufacturer's recommendations. The manufacturer, the creator, our God, has given us these recommendations. Recommendations that recognize that we have the free will to decide how we will live and how we will treat one another and how we will engage in the world, especially in a world that seems to encourage self-interest and ambition and conceit. Our God has given us Savior's suggestions and almighty advice and Holy Spirit helps manufacturers recommendations to help encourage us to live into all that we were created to be, created in the divine image and created to follow the one that Paul praises in this hymn. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. And why? Remember that Paul's very life, his faith as someone who encountered Jesus on the road when he was as far away from living a life adhering to the manufacturer's recommendations as anyone could be. He was a prosecutor and a true enemy of God and God's people, and he encounters Christ and his life is transformed. And he wants others to experience this transformation. He wants you and me to experience this transformation in our lives, transformation that is found for Paul when he begins to know and follow 
Jesus, the name above all names, the savior of humankind. And so in the middle of these instructions, these recommendations of how to live, he repeats the hymn. The familiar words that draw the people back to God, back to Christ and the mystery of Christ, because Paul writes, it is when we are willing to approach Jesus, when we are willing to come to the feet of the one who loves us beyond our comprehension, it is then that we understand that it is God who is at work in us. It's God who's at work in us, enabling us to do God's will and to work for God's good pleasure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.